If you're experiencing a mental health crisis in Australia, there are four 24-hour hotlines that you can reach out to. In Indonesia, which has a population more than 10 times larger, there's no consistent national 24-hour mental health crisis hotline, though there are various local services. Australia has a national mental health and suicide prevention plan with 66 action points. And the third comprehensive progress report on that plan was issued in 2020. While there's still huge room for improvement, of course, in Australia too, mental health support infrastructure in Indonesia has a much longer way to go. Dr. Sandersononi is a suicide prevention researcher with the Black Dog Institute in Australia, and he's also been working on developing a suicide prevention strategy for Indonesia. Sandy grew up in Indonesia, and he's had tough personal experiences with depression himself. Recently at TEDx Sydney, he spoke about the digital suicide prevention platform for Indonesia that's been created by the foundation that Sandy started, which is called Emotional Health for All. And Dr. Sanderson Oni joins you now on Sunday Extra. Welcome, Sandy. Hi, Julian. It's great to be here. Great to have you, Sandy. Your, your research for a national suicide prevention strategy included hundreds of hours of in-depth interviews with clinicians and policy makers, drug and alcohol experts, and people who've experienced depression in Indonesia. What did they tell you about the treatment they received and whether it worked? So one of the things that we really made sure to do is that we didn't just want the voices of clinicians or lived experience advisors or even academics. Because it's mm. an issue that's so pervasive across the board in everyone's life, we needed to hear everyone's voices. So we listened to educators, fathers and mothers, principals, people who work in the tech industry, startups, to hear about their experiences and what they can contribute to the field. But what's interesting about Indonesia's situational analysis that we did for the national strategy is that it's very clear that it's a very marked difference. We see a very marked difference in the factors, in the condition, in the treatment, in the situation than, say, Australia, it's, its next door neighbor. For example, mm. in Indonesia, there's such a very strong stigma against anything related to mental health. Now, I'm not sure if you've heard before, but there's practice called pasung, in mm. which your own family might lock you up in shackles or a makeshift cage in a regional area for having a mental health issue. Imagine that. Mm. Rather than getting treatment, they'll lock you up in a small prison. And unfortunately, as you mentioned before, there aren't sustainable hotlines or emergency services. But one thing that we found is that this isn't just on a federal level. This sort of aversion to the topic goes all the way down to families, where there's a lack of funding, there's a lack of research infrastructure for suicide, there's a lack of support. Well, there are a few things smattered here and there, but nothing sustainable, comprehensive, or evidence-based enough for me to actually create a real difference. Now, one of the things that we realized, and this was probably the biggest realization for us, is that what moves us here in Australia, what moves our hearts for suicide prevention, is different from what will move the Indonesian people. Because when we came to them with statistics, we came to them with all these sort of facts and research, we were met with blank stares. Because Indonesia is the largest religious country in the world. And so in a lot of their minds, they're thinking to themselves, well, if I have suicidal ideation, does that mean I'm morally or religiously deficit? doesn't mean that I'm weaker, doesn't mean that I'm weaker than I'm supposed to be. And so that's why we know that if we're to reach the Indonesian people, we have to use their language, which is we have to discuss things from a religious context to move people because it doesn't really matter how we get there. 
The point is that we're all mentally healthy. That's really interesting, Sandy. Obviously, you have a lot of experience and expertise on suicide prevention in Australia, but uh, it does sound like those principles need to be applied in a different way in Indonesia. How do you think that engaging with uh, the the role of religion in Indonesia uh, can be done and and needs to be done to change uh, the the current situation with suicide prevention? Sure, that's a great question, Julian. And I think there are two factors and two aspects to that. The first one is what's being said. And number two mm. is about who hears it. Because it doesn't matter how good of a message we have if it's not reaching the ears of the people who need to hear it. So we actually devised the plan. We said to ourselves, how do we get the right message out? And how do we make sure that's, that it challenges the current prevalent stigma? So we had this idea. We got together religious leaders from the five major, major religions in Indonesia which is Catholicism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam, as well as a representative from the over 400 beliefs that are scattered across the nation. And we got together in June in Lombok, and we said to ourselves, we have to create a statement, a statement which says, how does religion across the board view mental health? And in fact, there's a lot of religious texts from every single faith that suggest that we are to care we are to help individuals who are going through mental illness, who are going through life challenges and mental disorders. We're not to shun them or push them away or consider them morally weak, but rather we're to lend them a helping hand. So we crafted this statement, five key points that can apply to every single person in the country, encouraging them to participate in suicide prevention, as well as the bettering of mental health of the country. And so the next question became, great, we've got this statement. How do we get it to the people? So... It just so happens that this year, Indonesia is hosting the G20 Summit. And so we found a channel on our way in. And so as part of the G20 program, we're going to have all the religious leaders with ministers as well to sign this statement and say, this is our stance on suicide prevention and mental health, where we say no to discrimination, no to shunning people, no to shackling people. And that plan is to have it approximately around World Mental Health Day. And so that's how we have the message, and that's how we're planning to get it into the hands, into the ears of the people of the country. That's very encouraging, Sandy. And from the sound of things, uh, you got a, a receptive ear from the religious leaders across all those different traditions that you've identified? Absolutely. And what's interesting, Julian, is what we found is that what they're discussing on the very top and what's being practicing on a population level, there's a huge disparity there. Because, for example, one of the things that none of us had realized is that the religion in Indonesia with the most advanced understanding or approach to mental illness was, in fact, the Islamic faith. There's this one group called Nadrul Ulama, and, or they usually are referred to as the two letters NU. They have an entire book called Fiki Disabilitas, where they outline what their scriptural and religious texts say about disability in general, including mental disability or mental illness. And so there's a lot of agreement at the top. There's a lot of changing in theologies. But one of the things we realize, even they're having difficulty implementing it or getting it into the hands and the ears of the people and of the believers. And what do you think is needed, Sandy, to change that? Is it a question of uh, more input from government, or is it a combination of resources and presumably also just the time and effort that it'll take to change such a big problem? It's a, it's a multifaceted problem, and there are many different mm. ways to tackle it. Remember, is that Indonesia is not an old country. 
it's only approximately 77 years ago, off, just off the top of my head, that Indonesia was freed from very intense and very violent colonization. Mm. Where during that time, um, we had many different parties from Europe and from Asia during World War II. And the culture at the time was, if we disobeyed an order, we would be treated in a very violent manner. And so the whole concept, the full foundation of mental illness and community, which is vulnerability, is something still very new to us. Another thing that we need to do is we need to work together. Because one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest misconceptions about Indonesian mental health and suicide prevention is that there is nothing happening. I'd like to say that we're no longer in the era where nothing's happening. In fact, a lot is happening, but it's extremely siloed. Mm. A lot is happening, but everyone thinks they're the only one doing it. So there's a high rate of repetition, a low rate of innovation. What we need is something or someone to bring everyone together and go, okay, what is everyone working on? How do we work together? Because frankly, one of the organizations that we're working with sat with the Secretary General of the Ministry of Health, who is now led by economists. And they clearly said that mental health is not a priority. And so on one hand, it is a little bit discouraging because we won't have that much federal support. But on the other hand, it frees us up because we no longer are waiting for them. We're taking matters into our own hands. We realize, okay, if that's not the route, people are still suffering. We've got to go a different way. And so that's why in this World Suicide Prevention Day, as part of the national strategy, we'll be establishing the Indonesian Association for Suicide Prevention as a way to pull everyone together and to pull our resources together, because obviously we don't have the same resources as we do in Australia. So we only have one choice, that is to pull our resources together and work together to make this happen. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Dr. Sanders Sinoni, who's a suicide prevention researcher with the Black Dog Institute in Australia, but also working on developing a suicide prevention strategy for Indonesia. Uh, Sandy, there are many dimensions to the work you're doing in Indonesia, including in November 2021, you published a, a booklet called Indonesian Mental Health First Aid. What's the thinking behind that publication? So one of the things that we know from statistics in Indonesia is that we have approximately five to 6,000 psychologists and psychiatrists handling over 274 million people. And so as you can imagine, that no matter how long we take, that's not gonna satisfy the need, especially with the rising rates of mental health in the country. So one of the things I did, I thought to myself, if we're to become a healthier country and take advantage of Indonesia's collectivist and communal culture, we have to learn to care for one another. But no matter where I looked, I couldn't find an adapted version of the mental health first aid. And there are a couple here and there, but rather, and this is one of the things that happens in the country, they take what's been done in overseas and apply it as is. They translate it, but they don't adapt it. I wrote the booklet hoping to help parents, teachers, friends, family, anyone essentially care for the person next to them. And the key difference is that instead of opening up with statistics, I actually opened up with my own story of depression and suicidal ideation. Why? Because research has shown that it's stories, not education, that will shift stigma, something that we need to do in Indonesia. And so it's widely available. And in fact, all the proceeds from the booklet go back into emotional health for all research. And so it's funding a lot of the mental health and suicide prevention research from which there is no federal funding at the moment. 
At TEDx Sydney, you spoke about the online tool that you've developed through Emotional Health for All. Could you tell us about that and how it came about? Sure, absolutely. So this online tool is a collaboration between Black Dog Institute and the Emotional Health for All Foundation that I founded in Indonesia. And one of the things that we realized and what recent research tells us is that actually less than half of the people who attempt suicide will actually seek help prior to Less than mm. half. And that's not in Indonesia. This research was done in a country with plenty of suicide prevention resources and help. So I realized we need to find another way to reach out to individuals who are thinking of suicide. But how on earth do we know what a person's thinking or feeling? We're not, we don't have telekinetic abilities. We can't read minds. But one of the ways we can do that is through their search history. Because people often search things up that they wouldn't ask another living soul. And especially surrounding the stigma. So we thought to ourselves, okay, why don't we go the advertising route? Because we know that these tech companies, they have these complex algorithms that get to know who we are, right? They know what we like, what we don't like. And I don't know if you've experienced it, Julian, but I've had ads targeted to me that I'm like, how wonder do they know I was thinking of getting it's this? It's spooky sometimes, yes. <laughs> it is. It's, it's really spooky. But what if we could use that algorithm and technology for good and we can identify individuals who are thinking of suicide? Because so many people I've talked to have said, you know what? I didn't know they were struggling. And so we're using uh, Google's proprietary search uh, advertising platform called Google AdWords, where we come up with a list of keywords, what people are likely to search. And as they're searching up these suicide-related terms, which we know people do prior to an attempt, the ad will trigger, and on the very first line, they'll get an ad just going, hey, are you all right? Do you need a little bit of help? And once they're on the page, we design the page, we tailor it in a way it's evidence-based and it's meant to reduce suicidal ideation and promote help-seeking. And what we found, Julian, is that in just 19 days, I mean, that is less than three weeks, 19 days, the ad reached over 120,000 Australians, people who are searching up distress and suicide-related keywords. And in terms of engagement rate with the actual page, we found that there was seven times higher engagement than the industry average for ads like this. And so it seems to me that this is a great way to reach people. This is something that we're doing in Australia with Black Dog and in Indonesia with Emotional Health for All. And this is one of the new ways where we can ensure that every person at least has a lifeline thrown at them. And what sort of a response is the Emotional Health for All online tool getting in Indonesia, Sandy? It's going really well where our pages are already being used in one area called Kidul Mountain, with some of the highest suicide rates in the country. And that's been a place of concern on a federal level um, for many, many years. But here's the thing, Julian. In Indonesia, we're actually using geographic targeting, and we have pages in multiple dialects. Because you see in mm. Indonesia, there are over 21 regional dialects, more than 50 if you count those with less than 1% of the population. In that specific region, they speak a specific dialect called Bahasa Java, atau Bahasa Jawa in Indonesian. And they're already reporting to us that people are resonating, relating well. People are really being helped by these pages. Because when you speak the national language, that is, say, in Australia, if we just spoke English or in Indonesia, Bahasa Indonesia, they'll understand. They'll get it. You speak to their minds. They understand. But when you speak the language, the terminology, and the way that we speak, is a way that they grew, they spoke growing up. The same language they spoke with their parents, their friends in school, we touch their hearts. 
Well, it's obviously a mammoth task, but it's heartening to hear that you are taking it on and engaging with it in such a uh, innovative and uh, and committed way. Uh, Sandy Oni, thank you so much for speaking with us on Sunday Extra. It's my pleasure. Thanks, Julian. Dr. Sanderson Oni is a postdoctoral fellow at the Centre for Research Excellence in Suicide Prevention at the University of New South Wales. He's also a researcher at the Black Dog Institute and the founder of Emotional Health for All in Indonesia. And of course, if this conversation has raised any issues for you, remember, you can always call Lifeline on 13114. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.